0: Welcome to a new year of studying God's Word together. Let me pray before I do anything else. Lord God, we thank you for the sunshine and this room and space and joy in you, joy in your Word and your goodness to us the gathering that you allow us to have, and the fellowship with each other. Jesus, that's because you have loved us and we love you and we love each other. We thank you for that fellowship. And Holy Spirit, you are our life, our source of strength and understanding. And we ask you to help us. This whole year, as we are reading the word that you inspired men to write, give us understanding of the thoughts of God, the things of God, what Jesus said. Um, Just pray for your work this morning in us and through us. And this time is all yours. In Jesus name. Amen. I am looking forward to a fruitful year. Can you tell? Hmm? Lots of fruit everywhere. We are going to have a fruitful year as we are studying this message from Jesus. We are going to study familiar verses and learn new things about these familiar verses. I hope that we will all grow in faith as we are studying these familiar verses and grow in faith and understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, how he works, how he works through us. We do not have life without the Holy Spirit. So you are alive and connected to God and in the family because of the Holy Spirit. And then I've already mentioned fellowship, but we will fellowship with each other as we share from God's word. Do you see what I did there? We have a fruitful year in familiar verses and we're going to grow in faith and then we'll fellowship with each other. Jesus said that our abiding in him is supposed to result in bearing fruit. So we're kicking off with a lot of fruit fruitiness around. I've enjoyed thinking of all the shapes and sizes of fruit, all the kinds of fruit. From the orchards and vineyards, we get apples and pears and grapes. Sunny Florida gives us the citrus of lemons and limes and grapefruits and tangerines. Summer vines produce bucketfuls of yummy pie filling, right? (laughs) I love blackberry pie, and I also love blackberries, and raspberries, and blueberries, and they're a little bit like candy. (laughs) The tropics give us exotic pineapple, and kiwi, and mango, and coconuts. I love coconut too, and not everybody does. That's a really fun discussion. There are all kinds of shapes and sizes and colors and flavors of fruits, and that describes us as well. We come in all shapes and sizes and colors and flavors and personalities, and that also describes the types of fruit that we bear as disciples of Christ. There are all kinds of fruit that we bear as the Holy Spirit works through us. We've got to think about bearing fruit because that's our Father God's goal. And you're going to learn how great a gardener he is and how focused he is on his vineyard and his family. We are to bear fruit. He does what he does to us what we need so that we will bear fruit. Well, you might think that I've left the book of John and jumped over to Galatians 5:22, and 23. Because it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those first three: love, joy, peace, those are things that show up in abundance in the message of from Jesus we're going to learn from John that what he said and then what Paul said are the same thing the fruit that we bear is the fruit of the spirit and I am repeating that I probably will repeat that all year we need to get that in our heads the Holy Spirit works in us and produces fruit through us this is what Jesus was telling his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16. This fall, we will be focused on the last few hours that Jesus spent with his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And then we will look at that process and that event and what happened to Jesus in the winter. So we're studying John first and then Luke. In the chronological order of the passages, not the order in the Bible. I know Luke comes before John. Some people have been confused. Why are we doing John first? Just think in French, it's Jean-Luc. That's what we're doing. (laughs) It will make sense by the time we have lived it out. It is really amazing. Jesus very specifically... And intentionally spoke to his disciples at that Passover meal that we call the Last Supper. And he told them what they needed to hear right before his death. He spoke to them to prepare them for his death and his departure. But they had a hard time understanding what in the world he was talking about. They did not get it. You're going to see this in your first homework lessons, as we get an overview of the book of John first, and then the second lesson will be an overview of these chapters. So these the first two lessons are overview context lessons. Jesus would make a statement at the dinner, and one of the disciples would ask him a question. And when I first started studying this and seeing the questions, I highlighted them and it seemed like the questions were not even related to what Jesus was talking about. It just came out of the blue. And it seemed to me it was like imagine kindergartners listening to a NASA rocket scientist, you know, and a space engineer explaining the launching sequence of a rocket. And he tells them, in detail, the fuel system and the engines and the astronaut's space suit and the countdown and how the astronauts are strapped into their seat. And he's given them all the, the details, real facts, real information, but it is over their heads. And what does the kindergartner do? A question How does the astronaut go to the bathroom? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's not what I was talking about. It's related. But that's not what he was trying to communicate. Well, Jesus is the wise teacher, and we will see how the questions are related to what Jesus was talking about. And he does answer them and explain, and, and he stays on topic to continue with the information they needed to have from him. What we're going to study may be very familiar territory to you. John 14, 15, and 16 have truths that are referred to very often in sermons and songs. You may have a favorite verse from these chapters. The book of John is a favorite book of many people. It's one of my father's favorite books. And I mentioned him in the introduction and how he has urged me many times to write a study on the book of John. So you can read the rest of that story in the introduction. Obviously, this is not on the whole book of John. (laughs) As I began to dig into these chapters and do it slowly, I saw that Jesus' message is simple, but it is profound. It is deep. It is mysterious. We are going to be reading, studying what Jesus said about his relationship with his Father and the Holy Spirit. So we are really in the realm of the Trinity Which if I try to explain, I'll just fumble over my words. I can say words, but it still does. We cannot quite get it. So we are in um, magnificent territory as we see the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We just need to listen and believe what Jesus is telling us and enjoy it. Jesus explained what the disciples did need to understand, but they couldn't understand it right at that moment. It wasn't until they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost after Jesus. Well, first you had the resurrection. Then you have Pentecost, which was the sending of the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, life for the disciples would never be the same. There was a brand new situation and it was the best thing that could happen to them. And the Holy Spirit is the best person that can happen to us. I'm hesitant to say that he's the best thing because he is a person, not a thing, not an it. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Our lives are made completely new and different. When we repent of our sins and trust Jesus as our savior, that moment of decision is the moment of change from an old life of being trapped and enslaved to sin and death. And we get a new life. We get life. We get light. We get love because we get relationship with God, the father, our holy God the Holy Spirit is given to us at that moment as our life and our strength and as the abiding presence of Jesus. He said he would come to us and he comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned a minute ago, the Holy Spirit in us produces the fruit that Jesus the Lord wants in our lives. As we study Jesus' message to his disciples, And as you spend time contemplating these familiar verses, I'm sure you're going to be comforted and refreshed and encouraged by what is already meaningful to you. But you might be surprised when you really grasp the setting in which all of these precious verses have been spoken. That's why I've kept this picture of the Last Supper up here. This is where we are all fall at the Last Supper. I've loved John 15 as a special passage, special passage since I was in my thirties. I've read it over and over again. I go to it for comfort and encouragement and like, I need to hear from Jesus right now. And I do when I turn to that passage. But it wasn't until studying it in context with John 14 and 16 that I learned of its importance as the centerpiece of Jesus' message at the Last Supper. I have, for so many years, just gone to John 15 by itself. And I'll read John 15, and I'll stay in there, especially the first five to ten verses. I would read 14 and 16 together, that's two two chapters, and I'd think, These two chapters go together. So it's a little funny. We've got 14, 15, but 16. Well, they do fit together. I was not reading them in context with each other before. And now I have studied them that way. As I was studying, I saw right at the beginning of my studies of these chapters, a commentator who began his exposition on John 13 through 17 with a picture that you have on your handouts, a bullseye target. And you're going to see how this is an outline of these chapters. First, well, on your handout, I have a quote from Gerald Borschert and his commentary. He says, if readers can conceptualize these chapters in this target fashion, they should be able to recognize that John is not simply jumping aimlessly about in the presentation of his materials. The subjects of chapters 13 through 17 are wraparound issues. Everything holds together as a package called discipleship. Yes, discipleship. They describe what it means to belong to Jesus, to obey his commands and to love each other in the family of God. Jesus modeled all of this for us. And that's what we see in this um, package of John 13 through 17. I have zeroed into Jesus' words, which begin at the end of chapter 13, and they go to the end of chapter 16. But this uh, bullseye, I'll show you the uh, the package of 13 through 16. Borschert calls it a brilliant literary piece of theological construction. And he says that the more one studies its bullseye nature the more one should sense that it's a magnificently synthesized and integrated piece of work. So what is in the bullseye? The very center of the bullseye is chapter 15, the vine and the branches illustration, this metaphor. When we study chapters 13 through 17 together, you're going to see this picture of life in Christ. Discipleship. Belonging to Jesus. Being a part of the family of God. So you can see, even as I say those things, why the vine and the branches, that tells us about relationship. That's what it's all about. And what happens through that relationship? The branches bear fruit. So there's obedience. There's uh, love. Discipleship. So this Bullseye in the middle points to our intimate relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit and the fruit that comes as a result. I'm going to walk through the rings and the outline here. Starting at the top and the outer ring, we have the foot washing event in John 13:1 <coughs> through 38. This is where Jesus showed his love for his disciples by humbling himself, and doing what a household servant was supposed to do. I will be putting this picture up um, every other slide because I also want to put uh, Bible verses up here. So uh, listen to John 13, 3 5 Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So try to picture what was happening here. These men had come to Jerusalem for their Passover meal. They did not have a hotel next door, so they had not bathed and gotten all dressed up for dinner. They had been traveling. They were staying outside of the city and walking through those roads Maybe dusty roads, dirty roads. Were they muddy? Sandals? Uh, We've got guys showing up with dirty feet. (laughs) And their leader, their teacher, got up from the table and took off his cloak and wrapped a towel around him and went to each disciple one by one and knelt down to their dirty, grimy feet. This was what a servant should have done. And if it had been a servant, they would have paid no attention to that servant because he was doing this menial task. I don't mind washing my three-year-old grandson's little feet. (laughs) They're cute and sweet, even if they are dirty. But I don't even like thinking about washing a man's dirty feet. That's just not what I want to do. So um, it is really something to think about Jesus doing that, humbling himself. And if... I'm not going to do this. But if I were to challenge each of you right now, like just for example, Monica to get down in front of Audrey and start washing her feet, you might even pull your feet back and not want her to touch them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen that happen before. It's like, no. I mean, it, it is. It's humbling to the person whose feet are being washed by their friend. The disciples were amazed. That Jesus did this. He was showing his servanthood and his love. You'll read about that account in your first homework lesson. The bottom of the outer ring is the same um, idea. And here we have Jesus praying for his disciples and there's an emphasis on love. So even praying for them is servanthood. In both of these actions, he is demonstrating love for his disciples and setting an example for us. This is his, uh, his prayer is John 17, 1 through 26 in verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, Oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is praying right here the things that he's been talking about to his disciples. So if you, when you have studied through 14, 15, 16, and then read this and read his prayer, you will see the echoes of his message. So he talked about it and then he prayed it for them. This is a monumental prayer, praying that the love with which God the Father loved him would be in the disciples. This is mind-blowing. We're going to see Jesus talk about this amazing love. So the outer ring shows servanthood. And on the bottom of your handout, you have uh, two passages that are bracketed, and that's what those two passages are about, servanthood. The example for the disciples to follow. A prayer for the disciples, and love is being emphasized. Servanthood and love. Those are the key words there. The next inner ring shows that Jesus was fully aware of the disciples coming loneliness and anxiety. So this whole uh, dark red ring is about loneliness and anxiety. And Jesus is going to talk about it at the beginning of his message and at the end of his message. He knew that the disciples would be distraught, bewildered at his death. They were overwhelmed and distraught when he mentioned that he was about to die. And they didn't understand that at all. So at the beginning of his message, he said in John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. If you already love these comforting words from Jesus, you're going to love them even more after we've spent time with them and understand them and study them. Jesus addressed the troubled hearts of the disciples at the end of his message. And we see this in John 16:20 and verse 33. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will leap, you will weep and lament But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And at the very end of his message, the last sentence that we will study. Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. When I was studying and looking at what would be the the whole message and the whole package and how would this workbook end, where would we end in scripture? And when I saw that this is what Jesus said, oh, I was so excited. I'm like, we are ending with victory and yes, it's the truth. And he's going to say, get up, it's time to go and... Um, Judas was already on the way when Jesus said this, but he said, take heart, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He knew what he was going to do and he was not going to fail. So we have victory in Jesus. The second set of bracketed verses on your handout show this loneliness and anxiety that Jesus addressed. He did that before and after the bullseye message. And then we come to the second inner ring that lighter red, and it's all about the Holy Spirit. So this is the focus of his message. The Holy Spirit is who he wanted to talk about and tell the disciples that he was coming to be with them. After he told them about the Holy Spirit, he gave them the illustration of the vine and the branches. And then he told them about the Holy Spirit again. In John 14, 16 through 18, Jesus said, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Just think about the disciples listening to Jesus say this. I picture now a dog <laughs> who knows some trigger words that he likes, and he's listening to you talk to him, and he cocks his head like, What are you saying? <laughs> I just, little dogs can just be like, What's going on now? What are you saying? That's the way I picture the disciples with that type of body language, like, "I hear you, but I really don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> they were listening intently, they were trying to understand, but Jesus was saying things. they just didn't get. John 16:6 six through8 says, "I have said these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So he brought up the Holy Spirit. He talked about the vine and branches. And then he talked about the Holy Spirit again. The center of the bullseye, the target of the bullseye, the summary, the illustration of everything that Jesus was telling his disciples is John 15, 1 through 25. This is an extended metaphor. Jesus emphasized abiding in him and bearing much fruit, the fruit of the spirit. The particular fruits that are emphasized in Jesus' message are love and obedience and faith and humility, and dependence. Putting yourself and your independence aside because we can do nothing apart from Jesus and his Holy Spirit. Here are a few of the beautiful declarations from chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And he also said in verses 16 and 17, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name Ask the father in my name. He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Bullseye. That is what is all about. Love. Love is the bullseye. So let's hit the target of love. You can think of a firing range if you want, or maybe a dart game or an archery target. I went to summer camp as a little girl, and it was not my thing. It was called Camp Grandview, and I wrote a letter home from Camp Badview. I only went for one week, and I never did it again. It was not my thing. I took an archery class, and it was not my thing. I got a ribbon, though. I think they felt sorry for me. It was most improved. (laughs) I guess I went from totally missing the target to just hitting the edge of it. I don't have much memory of this. I can remember standing at the field and seeing the target, but that is about it. I mean, I know I took the class and I know the ribbon was most improved. What did I need? I needed more instruction. I needed more desire because I didn't want to do it. And I needed more practice. That's what God knows we need. We should want to hit the bullseye of love and obedience to the commands of the Lord. God knows that we need more instruction. We need more desire. We need more practice. I want to hit the bullseye of abiding in Christ and depending on his spirit and loving as he loved. That is the The greatest, biggest, most challenging thing that God wants of us. And we can't do it in our own strength. Loving as he loved is bearing much fruit. Well, there's one more thing that I want to mention about the message of Jesus. This has been the outline. And now as I leave the outline, I want to think on this. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. And after his resurrection, he spent 40 days with his disciples. This was before he ascended. We do not have a record of everything that he said during those 40 days, but he was with them and he gave them a lot of Old Testament teachings of who he is in all of those books, how they can see the prophecies of his coming and the description of who he is. We do not have a recording of that sermon. The disciples were asking Jesus a lot of questions before he died. So we know they're not afraid to ask questions. After he rose again, they might have had some really interesting questions now. What was it like to die? What did you do while, you, while before you were resurrected? Did you talk to Moses? <laughs> um. What was it like when you came back to life? Oh, Jesus, we saw you just walked through the door. How'd you do that? There are so many things that they could have asked him about. And we do not have any information about those types of conversations. The words that the Holy Spirit reminded John to record are these words. It shows how important these words, this message before his death is. This is what we need to know. Not all those interesting curiosities afterwards. I hope that that will encourage you to take this study and these chapters as being so crucial. Again, this is Jesus' last message right before he died. His intimate message to his disciples. And then they're going to see him crucified. Wow. I hope you will be prompted, encouraged, and understand what it means to abide in Christ and to bear much fruit and that you will even see yourself bearing fruit. And it's going to be a lot of fun when we're all a little fruity. Even if you're a little fruit Loopy. Even if we're all going bananas. You know, we're just let's do it together. <laughs> let's help each other with that. Well, that's the intro to the chapters that we're going to study. And now I want to look at the workbook and talk about how we are going to study these chapters. And as, I, as you're getting your workbooks out, we're going to open them in just a second. I want to tell you what I experience regularly in the summer when I go to my water aerobics class. (laughs) I've been going to this water aerobics class for about five years. I have the same teacher on Mondays and Fridays. There are other teachers different times, but I know what this one teacher does. And at the very beginning, she always says, is there anybody new in class? And many times there's nobody new, and it doesn't matter. She tells us the same thing every time. She sets the stage. She reminds us what we're doing, why we're doing it. And she is excited and encouraging. She reminds us every single class what we're supposed to do. And throughout that hour of workout, she keeps telling us in the middle of what we're supposed to do. Why? Because even though I go and I am there to exercise and to work hard. I might kind of slack off <laughs> or just do it wrong. There's something that she tells us to do, and I don't even know, but we have a tendency to kind of lean over and hunch our shoulders. She's like, shoulders back! You know, everybody, get your shoulders back. And In the water, you aren't supposed to just kind of swish around the water. You're supposed to sweep the water and push it hard. She's like, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Take that to Bible study with you. You get out of it what you put into it. And so I'll be doing my thing. And she's like, come on, punch it harder. And she's like, she wants us to work. Now I am not trying to tell you work hard. It's not supposed to be hard, but it's easy to just feel like, oh, I do this all the time. I know how to do this. And just kind of start floating along. So. This is your reminder to get excited about Bible study. Here's how we do it. Here's why we do what we do. And think about these things as you get ready to spend time with Jesus and listen to him. Please turn to the table of contents. There are 18 lessons here. This is my shortest study ever. And we will do two lessons a week. As I said, the first two are an overview of first of the book of John and then of these passages, uh, chapters that we will be in. Then I have a foreword from my daughter, Emily, in case you wonder who that is. The introduction tells my story of writing with some words from my father. And this book is dedicated to him since he always encouraged me to write a study on John. So that's really precious. There's a quite the, the family thing going on with this Bible study. Um, you have two lessons of homework a week. I'm expecting you to do the lessons. They might take you about an hour each. That's what it's taken me to do as I time myself. It doesn't have to take you an hour. I'm not telling you, you have to spend that much time. You're going to come with your workbooks and your Bibles or your electronic Bibles And come to your discussion groups and be here at 930 for the beginning of sharing. So your discussion groups are a place of accountability where you are expected to come and talk about what you have learned. Your discussion groups are also a safe place for you to share your reflections your discoveries and your questions and the things that you did not understand and share what is meaningful to you. We want to get to the heart of things. You will be asked questions. And this is the next thing I will bring up here. As you turn over to page 19, you will be asked questions that are a little bit basic, but they are handling deep truths. So even though they are just like, what does this verse say? and you're writing what this verse says is still deep on page 19. You see lesson two, an exclusive meeting and then some italics and that's the italics are my comments and there's a prompt to pray. You can consider those little wavy lines, vine branches. And um, I need that reminder to pray for the Holy spirit to give me understanding of God's word. That's his job. Jesus told us that he would do that. So, Ask him to do that. Turn to 20, and we have the first somewhat basic question. I mean, it it really is a basic question. It's an observation question. When you're studying the Bible, you need to observe. You need to gather the facts. If you even want to think, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Go to those basic things. What did Jesus declare? You are writing the verse out. Sometimes you don't have to write the whole verse. The next question, how did the disciples respond according to John 13, 22 through 25? You really don't even have room right there on the page to write the whole verse. So you're writing the bullet points of what the disciples said. What happened next? And then at the bottom of the page, after we do observation and gathering facts, I give you some interpretational comments. I give you comments to connect the dots from one thing to another. The box is a quote from a commentary. It says, now it was night, and it explains the importance of that phrase. So that is bringing interpretation into our Bible study. Your interpretation, your understanding, your explanation of passages is based on what you've read and what you've observed and those facts and sentence structure what the words are, what the, the context is. Interpretation is based on context and the original meaning of the words. So this lesson does not include any um, instructions to look up the definition of a Greek word. There are a few of those throughout the workbook. That's a part of interpretation. Looking at cross-references is also a part of interpretation, and that's at the top of page 21. What did Jesus declare and promise in John 8? 12. So there are times where I will send you to other places in the Bible outside of these chapters to see what is said and understand, add that to our understanding of what's going on in these particular chapters. Observation, interpretation, and then application. If you turn to page 22, you will see a question that is under the box, and this is a type of application question. I'm really looking to see what does all this mean to you? What does it mean to you? So the question is, what in his message so far is comforting to you? When there are very personal questions like, what sin did Jesus highlight in your life as a result of this? (laughs) We're not going to put you on the spot to confess your sin to the group. You may want to share what Jesus showed you that he is addressing, and you, are, you will be given the open door to do that, but I'm just trying to put you at ease and <laughs> let you know you do not have to share something that has been extremely personal that you want to keep confidential. In your group, as you share with each other, do Have respect for each other in your group and keep things confidential, especially in that prayer request time. And by the way, the prayer request time is at the end of the discussion group. Intentionally start with the homework discussion. Go through the workbooks. Your leaders are prepared. They are um, encouraged to go through both lessons and cover everything. Sometimes I might tell them to skip a question here or there. And then we have prayer requests at the end because if we started at the beginning, we might never get into the workbook. So we have the prayer request time at the end and there are pages at the back of your workbook to record prayer requests, so that you can pray for each other. Praying for each other is a way to show your love for each other and care. It is my prayer that you will bond with each other in fellowship in the Lord. If you belong to Jesus then you're a part of an eternal family. So go ahead and get used to your sisters right here, right now, you know. Enjoy each other's company now. Jesus told his disciples to love one another. Let's do it, let's love one another. There is a question that I want you to take with you to your groups that you will answer as your icebreaker. What kind of fruit are you? What kind of fruit are you? I want to tell you what kind of... I've answered this question myself. I've thought about it. I, in this moment, feel like a pineapple. think I'm a pineapple. It represents hospitality, so I hope that I am warm and welcoming and hospitable. But, you know, pineapples are also a little prickly, and I know I can be prickly. But when you cut inside, they... If they're ripe, they're sweet. So I'm still getting ripened, that sanctified, and hopefully getting sweeter and sweeter. And I hope the Lord is smoothing some of those prickly parts off of me on the outside, too. And pineapple upside-down cake was a fun dessert that we had growing up, right out of the box. Easy, but all the stuff about pineapples. It's tropical and I love the islands and tropical things too. So that's another reason it's a favorite fruit.